0: is it on? Am I on? Okay. Uh, I just want you to know if you uh, if you get a message online that there's a love offering for Pastor Majeski because he needs to go to Hawaii, go ahead and give to it. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Irby wouldn't like that, but it doesn't bother me a bit. <laughs> I'm glad to be here this morning. And uh, I have a little different kind of message this morning, and I hope the Lord uh, anoints it and blesses it uh, to your benefit and to your edification. Uh, I want to speak this morning on the subject, uh, questions and answers to the uh, doctrine or the experience of sanctification. And so I'm going to be asking questions about sanctification, And then, at the same time, I'm going to answer those questions. And if you have a question and you want to put up your antenna, I'll try to answer it the best way I can. If I can't answer it, I'll say, I I can't answer that right now. I'll see you later sometime, okay? (laughs) First of all, I want to ask the question, what is sanctification? Uh, sanctification in theology, as far as what the Church of God believes, is a definite second work of grace subsequent to the new birth, whereby the saved person, the believer, presents his or her uh, life and makes an absolute surrender to the will of God in their life. And the Holy Spirit sees that presentation. As Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, By the mercies of God that you present your body wholly acceptable unto him which is your reasonable service. And when that Christian that's already saved presents themselves to be sanctified, the Holy Spirit sees that faith and allows the atonement of Christ to be applied to the believer's heart, and that person is sanctified. Now, A little later on in the message, I'm going to try to share on the dual nature of sin so we'll understand why the Bible teaches two works of grace, why the Bible teaches salvation and why the Bible teaches sanctification as a second work of grace. Second question, who can be sanctified? Sanctification is for every person who knows Christ. And someone says, what what do we need to be a candidate for the experience of sanctification? Well, the only thing an individual needs to be a candidate for sanctification is to be saved. And if you're born of the Spirit of God, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, then you're a candidate for sanctification. The question has often been asked how long must a Christian wait uh, between being saved and experience a new birth and then being sanctified? How long? Now, sometimes uh, in the history of the church, you remember if you look, go into the Old Testament, the children of Israel left Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for some 40 years. And sometimes people likened to that Canaan land was a was a symbol of uh, reaching the promised land. It's a kind of a symbol of a, of a spirit filled life when you reach uh, the land of milk and honey. And it took them four years. From from that, people think, well, uh, after you're saved, it takes a long, extended time before you can be sanctified. And that's not true. If you do the study on the time the children of Israel left uh, Egypt, they could have been in Canaan land within a couple of weeks. The reason why they took 40 years was because of their disobedience. But when we mind God, God meets our needs. So, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, I want us to look the book of Acts, uh, chapter eight, and uh, uh, there's, a, there's a, a scripture there uh, where uh, Acts eight fourteen. The early church, uh, this uh, book was written around 60 or 65 AD, and we get a look of what the early church uh, placed a priority upon. What was the early church's emphasis? What were they really concerned about? And, and the scripture says something like this, that when the apostles, were, were, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, that is Samaria had people being saved and they found Christ, and when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they dispatched two of their finest men, Peter and John. And what did Peter and John go down to Samaria to do? Well, Peter set up the bingo tables and John set up the canasta tables and the strawberry festival out on the church lawn. No, that's not, <laughs> that's not in the scriptures. But I'll tell you, uh, there are churches that do that. I went by a Protestant church, a nice building, and outside on the church sign it said, uh, uh, be sure you don't miss our canasta party. And, uh, and, uh, and that's what some churches do. But Peter and John were not sent except for one purpose. They sent Peter and John down to pray for those people in Samaria that had received Christ as their personal uh, Savior, and they sent them down to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Now, we need to look at this. It was so important to the early church that people who got saved wouldn't wander in a, a fundamental experience of salvation without going on to holiness it was so important to the early church that they dispatched Peter and John to pray for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's important that we realize that God has called us to holiness. God said, be you holy, for I am holy. And uh, he calls the church to be holy. Uh, The Bible said that Jesus suffered without the gate that he might sanctify the church. Now, what does that mean, that Jesus suffered, that he might sanctify the church? All right, we're in the church. We have pews, we have a pulpit, we have carpet, we have lights and chairs, but uh, that's not the church that Jesus died to sanctify. When the scripture says that Jesus suffered without decay that he might sanctify the church, he's talking about you and me. We are the church. We are the people of God, uh, the church of the living God. 11 times in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit urged Paul to write his letters unto the church of God at Corinth, unto the church of God at Ephesus, unto the church of God 11 times. 11 times uh, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, designates uh, the body of Christ as the church of God. We are related, uh, the birthday of the church as you know was in the day of Pentecost, AD 33, and we here who have been born into born into the Church of God? Uh, we we in the Church of God, you you, you can't sign uh, an act of faith. You can't join the church in the Church of God. You know we don't practice church joining. And why? Well, we go back to the Bible and it said the Lord added to the church daily and such should be saved. Now you can join a lot of things. You can join the elks, the moose, the eagles, or something else with feathers and horns, but you can't join the church. We're born into the church, and the only way you get out is to sin out. So we don't practice church joining. You know, there's a lot of people who think they're getting into heaven because they've joined the church. They've signed the document that said, I've joined this church. But the only way to get into God's church, you can join a denominational structure. Yeah, you can join a man-made uh, denominational structure that's caused himself a church and you can, uh, you can uh, 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 join it. You can embrace the creeds. Now, in the church of God, that, that God is called to holiness and sanctification, we don't have creeds. Do you ever wonder why we don't practice church joining? Because we had a song we used to sing, Back to the Blessed Old Bible. Remember that? We go back to the Blessed Old Bible and we found out you can't join the church that you're born into it. And and, and that's the only way to get into God's church. It's through being born again and allowing Christ in our heart. So uh, this church that Christ built, he wants it to be a sanctified church. Filled with the Spirit of God, and and people committed their will. Their will is surrendered to the sanctifying grace of God. Uh, I came from a uh, Catholic background. You probably knew that because of my Irish name, and uh <laughs> O O-Maj- Majeski, <laughs> and uh, I. I, I I remember, uh, I remember uh, you see, when I got saved, I realized that the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me of my sins. Uh, like Charlotte Elliott wrote that great uh, poem that we used to sing, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am, and waiting not to cleanse my soul of one dark blood, I come, O Lamb of God, I come. Charlotte Elliott was a beautiful singer, gifted. And she was in a dressing room, and her preacher came to her one day and says, Charlotte, you got a beautiful voice. You're very talented, but you're just as lost as a sinner in the gutter. And it bothered Charlotte. She And she put her head down in that dressing room, and she began weeping. And she wrote that poem, Just As I Am. And we sing it, Just As I Am and Wait You Not to Cleanse My Soul of One Dark body were saved through the blood of Christ, were sanctified through the blood of Christ. Now, when I was a, a little Irish boy up on Polish Hill in Steubenville, Ohio, uh, I went to, uh, uh, <laughs> I went to uh, catechism. And I'm not knocking the Catholic Church. I have a lot of friends in the Catholic Church. I wanted them to be saved. Uh, I tried to be a good Catholic, I ate fish every Friday, ugh, and, and, uh, and, I, and I did, and, and, and I went to confession and I said it in Irish, me oise sine e dosh te amen. That's, I, the nuns taught me how to make the sign of the cross and that's in the name. I got to translate because Paul said when you speak in an unknown tongue, Charlie, you got to translate. So I'll translate it in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I'd confess to my priest, Father Terrell, at a little seven-year-old Irish boy, and I said, "Well, I stole a Clark bar, and then uh, I stole some marbles out of the playground, and." Uh, I chased the girls on the playground and scared them, and then the priest would tell me how many are Fathers and how many Hail Marys and how many times I should say my rosary. And then uh, in catechism class, the nun taught me, and I'm just relating this to you so that you know how wonderful it is to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and know you're saved. And know your sins are forgiven well the nun was teaching in her class and she said there was an altar boy that did not believe that uh, that the uh, wafer was actually Jesus Christ now you see in Catholicism when uh, when we take communion we we take it in symbol that the body of Christ and the atonement of Christ is in the wafer in symbol in Catholicism When the priest is ordained, the bishop lays his hands on them and transfers to the priest the act of transubstantiation. Now, the act of transubstantiation is that the priest, uh, at a certain point in the mass, turns that wafer into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's why when a Catholic is near death, they wanna give them last rites. They wanna give them that communion because to them, they're receiving Jesus Christ. And so the nun was trying to emphasize to us, there was a little altar boy that didn't believe that, and so he brought a long uh, hat pin with him, and uh, and when uh, when the priest held up the wafer, He stuck the wafer with a pen, and the nun said that the blood of Jesus came out and scarred his whole face. And I listened to that, and I said, wow. Uh, But, you know, I learned when I got saved that the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't scar. It heals. It cleanses. It empowers. It frees us from the power of sin. And I thank God for that. And so the same atonement that saves us, sanctifies us. Now the question can ask, I can ask this question too. Uh, can the sanctified, if, if you're saved, and the, and the acts of sin, see, sin has a dual nature. People don't realize that. There are the acts of sin, the things we commit, that were forgiven, but then there's a sin, carnal nature, the old man, uh, 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 the flesh. Uh, that is a that is the nature of sin. Salvation forgives us for the acts of sin. Sanctification cleanses us from the inbred nature of sin. So the question is asked: uh, Can uh, can sanctification uh, can, if you're saved and the acts of sin are forgiven and you're filled with the Spirit, how then can the believer be tempted? Now think of that. If you're, if you're forgiven for your acts of sins and then you present yourself a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, and you're cleansed from inbred sin, so you're, you're forgiven from the acts of sins, you're cleansed from inbred sin, then how then can the believer be tempted? Good question. There were three people who came to planet Earth and they were sinless. One was Adam, he was born sinless. The next one was Eve, she was born sinless. And the third person of course was Christ and he was born sinless. But notice, even though they were sinless, they were still able to be tempted. Adam and Eve were tempted and fell. Christ was tempted. The Bible said Jesus suffered being tempted. You know what that word suffered means? I can uh, paraphrase that for you. That means Jesus. when it says Jesus suffered being tempted, it means that Jesus felt the solicitating power of, of, of sin, of temptation. Jesus felt the solicitating power of temptation, but yielded not. So uh, there is no state of grace whereby you're not able to be tempted. But the fact that you are tempted doesn't mean you've sinned. There's a big difference between being tempted and, uh, and sinning. And, and we need to understand that we can indeed as Christians we, we 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 can live we can live a victorious life we can be tempted but we can overcome that temptation and we don't need we don't need to yield and sin the bible says as he was in the world so are we so we can live above sin we can feel the force of temptation and sin not so the sanctified can be tempted but we can overcome the, the, that temptation now uh Someone asks the question, is sanctification instantaneous or is it gradual? Well, it's both. The cleansing of the heart is instantaneous. When a believer asks God to sanctify him, he sends the Holy Spirit, cleanses, and sanctifies them instantly. But the application of a holy life is gradual. We walk in the light every day. We mind God. We read our Bibles and pray, so the holiness of, of the cleansing part of sin is instantaneous, just like when you were saved. You were not gradually saved. You were saved within an instant. You came, you repented, you were born again, and you knew you was a child of Christ. Well, sanctification is the same way. God sanctifies within an instant. He cleanses us with, with an instant. The great text in Acts is Acts 9, I think, He put no difference between us and them, purifying our hearts by faith. Our hearts are sanctified and purified by faith. But the life of holiness, where God said, be you holy, where God's word said, follow holiness. This is what the Bible says. Follow holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean, follow holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord? It means this. If we get light on holiness... If you get light on holiness, if you get light on sanctification, if I get light on sanctification, we have to follow that light. Follow holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. See, light is the same. Light, we have to walk in it. What's the Bible say? If we don't, if God gives you, if God is sending His Spirit speaking to you about a sanctified life and turning your will over to Christ and having a sanctified life and, and 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 the will of god in your life and you're getting light on signification and you don't walk in it it turns to darkness all lights like that if we don't walk in the light it will turn to darkness so uh, god has called us god has called the church to holiness god has called us individually to holiness and and um The Bible tells us this. Another question, when a Christian dies, can death sanctify the heart? A lot of people feel they get sanctified before they die. Well, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, the article of death, death makes no change in who you are. It doesn't change a person's life when you die. Death has no uh, cleansing agency to it. What you are, what I am, what we are when we die is what we'll be when we're resurrected. So, so, so uh, uh, death cannot sanctify, uh, it cannot change our lives. Paul said that death was an enemy. So, so even though people believe that, there are people that believe that, uh, that carnality, Adamic sin, uh, the carnal nature is embedded in the physical body of, uh, of us, so we can only get rid of it when we die. That is a Calvinistic view, it is not taught in the Bible. The mistake of that theological position is that they made a mistake defining that carnality is in the physical body. Carnality is not like a bad liver or a bad tooth that needs extracted. Carnality is a condition of heart and state of mind. And, 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 and so, uh, Uh, We can be sanctified uh, while we live. This is where we need holiness. We need holiness and sanctification in school, in college, at work. And when we live and move in our society, this is where God has called us to be holy. Now is when God called us to be sanctified, not in the hour of our death uh, when we're dying. Uh, So uh, we, we can be sanctified in this life. And that's when he calls us in in life. Now, uh, I want to share some things very quickly. Uh, I got a few more fleeting moments, then I'll be done. Uh, Paul Paul the apostle painted pictures of inbred sin, and what he did. Paul uses something called personification. He did this uh, in in Romans. And he did it uh, quite well. Uh, personification uh, is where he likens the carnal nature and gives it a personality as he's sharing this. And I want to uh, share some scriptures with you on that. Now, in Romans 6 6, Paul said, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Now, see, he personifies carnality. He calls it the old man. And the Bible says, put off the old man and his deeds and put on the new man. You know, if if by God's grace I get to heaven, I'm going to see the Apostle Paul after I, after I see my wife that put up with me for 40 years. And after I see my Lord and Savior, I'm going to find Paul. And I'm going to say, Paul, you know, you're God's theologian. But I got a question. When you wrote that epistle, uh, Romans 6.6, 6, and you called carnal nature the old man, why didn't you call it the old woman too? <laughs> I didn't hear enough amens from you guys. You're scared to say amen. <laughs> you guys are scared to say amen. I don't believe you. So he personifies that carnal nature and calls it the old man. And the Bible says, put off the old man in his deeds. You know, a lady came to the altar. The evangelist was preaching along this line and, and putting off the old man and, and at the old man slain. And, and she came to the altar and, 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 and the evangelist said, sister, are you ready to slay the old man? And she said, well, I've been married to him for 40 years, but if that's what it takes. <laughs> uh, now, <laughs> put off the old man. That, that's God's call. The old self, the old carnal nature. You know, uh, I grew up in the Church of God. When I was 19, I got saved, didn't know anything about the Church of God, and, and, uh, and, and, I, and I got saved. And uh, what, what gave me light on holiness and sanctification? There were people in that church that outlived me. <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? They, they were spirit-filled, and uh, they outlived me. They, they had a balance in their life. They had a spiritual depth. They, they didn't lose their temper when someone disagreed with them. They didn't get upset if the church voted for a green carpet instead of a red one. <laughs> they, they had a spirituality and a depth, and I, and I knew there was something missing in my life. And I, I, I wanted that depth. I wanted that spirit-filled life. And I had problems with carnality in the old man. I thought it was a majeski in me. But I found people who act like that didn't have a bit of majeski in them. <laughs> and so I needed to put off the old man. And then Paul says this. He says, that the body of sin might be destroyed. that henceforth, we should not serve sin. Now he, he personifies it by calling it the old man and he personifies it by calling it the body of sin. And, and Romans 6:12, "Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof." Now the word sin in that chapter, probably seventeen times, is singular. It's not talking about sins, S-I-N apostrophe S. It's not talking about the acts of sins. It's talking about the nature of sin. And and Paul likens it there in 612. Let not, and in the original, if you would uh, purchase Boyce, uh, Dr. Boyce Blackwater was our premier uh, uh, scholar, theologian, Greek theologian, and he, you get his book, Light from the Greek New Testament, you'll see that the word the, in the original manuscript was in front of the word sin. And it says, do not, uh, uh, that the sin might be destroyed. Let not the sin reign in your mortal body. It's talking about a nature of sin, not the acts of sins. And it's that nature of sin that gives us so much trouble in life. Now, uh, he, say, he likens that. He personifies it again. He, he personified it as an old man. He personified it as that a unitary evil. He called a body of sin. And he personifies it in Romans 6, 12 by saying, let not that sin reign. See, it's a dominating tyrant. It's reigning in the believer's heart. Let it not reign in your life that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, Romans 7, 17, Paul says, now then it is no longer I that do it, But sin that dwelleth in me, Now he personifies it as an inward corruption. And in in Romans 7, 18, Paul says something very, very important. He says, for to will is present with me. Paul is saying, yeah, I'd like to overcome this thing. For to will is present with me. And he's saying this. I can paraphrase that. I'm trying in my own willpower. To overcome this, for the will is present with me. But then he goes and says, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. What does that mean? That means to listen to me, carnality in a believer's life produces a propensity to sin that's stronger than the will itself. You can't make the old man mind gone. You can't make the old woman mine gone. It has to be sanctified, cleansed out of our lives. Now, uh, moving on very quickly, uh, Paul said in uh, Romans 8, 6, there are three states. Let me see my TikTok. Yeah, I've got five more minutes, and then I'm, then I'm out of here. And... Uh, no one is throwing a hymn book at me yet, and I thank you for that. Uh, when you preach holiness and sanctification, you got to be careful in some places. I held a revival, and I won't tell you where, but I got up Sunday morning, and I, I was preaching uh, on sanctification. I don't often do that, uh, but I did it that Sunday morning. Uh, when I'm in a revival, I always have at least two messages of sanctification, and I had one that morning, and... Uh, and there was a whole family sitting sitting on the third pew, and I said, this morning I want to preach on sign vacation as a definite second work of grace, and the husband hit the wife with her elbow, and the wife hit the kids with the elbow, and they all got up and left. <laughs> and I, I, asked, uh, I asked the preacher, what was that about? And they said, well, they... They don't often worship here, but they go to another church, and they don't believe in sanctification, so they left. Well, that's all right. I'd rather have people leave than throw a book at me anyways, uh, you know. And so, uh, but uh, there are three states that the human mind can be in, and I want to go with them as I, com- as, as I come to uh, a conclusion here. Uh, in, in the Book of Romans... Uh, Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death. Now, that's the fr- that's one state, it's the carnal mind. Uh, if you read the book of, 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 of Corinthians, uh, chapter 3 maybe, Paul is talking to uh, born-again people in that congregation. And he said, I couldn't speak to you on a spiritual basis. He said, I fed you with milk. And you're still not able to eat the meat of the gospel. You're still on milk. Are, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, the marginal reading of that text when Paul was at the Corinthian church, he said, I couldn't speak to you on a spiritual basis, but as babes in Christ, Paul calls them babes in Christ, they were, they were bottle babies. They were still on the bottle. They couldn't eat the meat of the gospel. He said, Are you not carnal? Walk as men. Now, the marginal reading of these born again Christians at Corinth that needed to be sanctified, he said, You walk as men. Their life was such a low level of Christianity, you couldn't tell them from unsaved men. You walk as men. The marginal reading, you walk as unsaved men. And so, uh, Paul was trying to get them to, to, to go on to a spirit-filled life and get off the bottle. I, <laughs> I had a preacher friend, Church of God, he died, he's gone. But he told me this, he said, John, when I was little, He said, I was big enough to open a refrigerator and take the bottle. They had them uh, old rubber nipples on them. He said, I could take the bottle and put it in my mouth and close the refrigerator. I said, wow. I said, you did? I said, well, how in the world did your mother ever get you off the bottle? He said, she soaked those nipples in kerosene and that's when I got off the bottle. (laughs) 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 And and, 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 when I was preaching, I. I had the nerves to tell the congregation, hey, I got a bottle, I got a box of nipples soaked in kerosene if any of you babes in Christ need it. (laughs) I ducked a couple of hymn books on that one. (laughs) So to be carnally minded, that's the first state of mind. The second state, it says, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You're either carnal minded or you're spiritually minded. If you're spiritually minded, you're saved and sanctified. And then the third state of mind is James 1.8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So there's a carnal mind, there's a spiritual mind, and the double-minded. Now, what's a double-minded? A double-minded man in theology is a person that is saved but not yet sanctified. He or she is up or down, up one day and down the next. You know, a double-minded person, person that's saved, and not yet sanctified, it is kind of like a, a blind dog in a meat house. That's about how dependable they are. They're unstable. And we we need to get to the place where we can surrender ourselves to Christ and not be carnal-minded or double-minded, but to be spiritually minded. And James says this, I think it's somewhere in James chapter 4. Draw an eye to God, and he will draw an eye unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. First work of grace. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Second work of grace. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. God bless you, Brother Majewski. That's good preaching. You just keep on preaching. <laughs> One amen worth $500 in this church. So you be- God has called us unto holiness. And... Uh, closing right now, closing with this scripture, Hebrews 2 11, for both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And then in the book of Thessalonians uh, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. First Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in First Thessalonians 4:3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So God, beloved, God is calling us unto holiness. And I pray, uh, I pray that this message in some way will put a hunger in your heart for the sanctified life. It's, and if you'll begin, if you'll pray that prayer, there may be a lot of things you don't understand about sanctification. It doesn't make any difference. If the Bible says that they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled, and you pray, you go home or you can come right down to this altar after the, the worship team sings and you can ask God to put a hunger in your life for the sanctified life. And he will. And Because it's God's will. This is still the will of God, even your sanctification. I'm going to ask the worship team to come now. Uh, I've concluded in this message, as they sing whatever they're going to sing, you know, of course, the altar is always open. If you want to come and present yourself a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, if you want to come and say, Lord, uh, uh, this is the will of God, sanctify me. Uh, If you want to ask God to cleanse you and fill you with the Spirit, the altar is open. May God bless you as you sing. I'm going to place this right. Thank you.